This is the State of Things broadcasting from the American Tobacco Historic District. I'm Anita Rao. As many of you all know by now, today is the very last day of the State of Things. WUNC is ending the show after an almost two-decade run. Though the staff and I are still grieving the loss of a local daily talk show on the station, I am thrilled to share that our Embodied series will continue on. Every Friday on WUNC starting next week, you can join me live at noon to hear conversations about sex, relationships, and health. The Embodied series started in the summer of 2019 as an experimental deviation from the usual State of Things content. I wanted to use the live talk show format to talk about topics usually left off of public radio. And I'm going to be honest, not everyone was sold on the idea right from the start, but the series has been an overwhelming success. Thanks to the producers and technicians working behind the scenes, Embodied has become a hit both as a live show and as a podcast. There have been so many moments from this series that I return back to over and over again. The conversations that I have live on the airwaves generate deep thinking in every other part of my life. And I've heard the same thing from our listeners. So to celebrate a year and a half of intimate and sometimes uncomfortable conversations made public, let's take a look back. There's kind of this argument that always splits feminism about whether sex work exists in an ideal world. So Antonia, maybe we can start with you. Anita, people are really jerking off 24-7, especially during the pandemic, and they're not going to stop anytime soon. By the time it ended, I felt like I had been through at least a couple of years of therapy. I don't think that they should get to make this decision for me and my family. So my goal is eventually to get sterilized. I was scared. And all she told me was, well, you know, she is black too. All of us that live long enough will know what it means to live through a disabled body. They wanted a butter knife and I'm coming with a serrated egg. I can kind of just like drag things out. Sex just like doesn't happen. It is after the first sleep when couples uh, do it better and enjoy it more. (laughs) This is a women's issue. This is a human rights issue. Thanks so much to everyone who has supported Embodied by listening live or subscribing, rating, and spreading the word about the podcast. We are so excited to continue bringing you new content this year. One of the people behind our continued presence is Lindsay Foster Thomas. She's WUNC's content director who joins me now. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Lindsay? Oh, sorry. I was jerking off. Um, (laughs) I'm here now. (laughs) Hi, Anita. Those of you may recognize Lindsay's name as a former State of Things producer as well as a former producer for 1A. Lindsay Foster Thomas, everyone. So before we deep dive uh, into Embodied, I want to take stock of the public radio landscape with you. You have been around the block, worked at a number of other public radio stations. How, <laughs> how do you compare kind of what Embodied is trying to do to other things on public radio airwaves? Man, I don't think Embodied is like anything else on public radio airwaves. I mean, I know a lot about the industry. I haven't heard every show, but it was one of the things that was like most exciting for me when I came to WUNC. The show had been on the air for a year when I started as content director, but everybody had already filled me in on just like what a success embodied was as a series 
and what kinds of um, new listeners the series was really attracting to WUNC. And so when I got a chance to talk with you and the producers about turning it into a podcast, you know, I, I jumped at that opportunity. So we're going to go back and listen to a lot of segments from the series over the course of my conversation with you today. And I want to start with one that was actually one of our most clicked on of the whole year. And it surprised me because unlike some of our other headlines that say that we're going to be talking about porn or sex, this one didn't say anything about that. It actually is about psychedelic medicine. So here is Dana Saxon. Dana was diagnosed with depression in 2002. She tried Prozac. She tried therapy. For 15 years, nothing seemed to work. And finally, she decided to try magic mushrooms. And she told us about her first trip. Let's listen. One of the things that I saw first that really opened me up to the emotional experience was I saw myself panicked. I saw this, this like, basically I was kind of screaming. My first reaction was, oh my God, she's a monster. And then as I reflected on it some more, as I'm talking to myself, I was literally talking out loud to myself, this this person inside of me that I was now seeing very clearly was not a monster. It was somebody who was very scared, very lonely, very um, feeling very unsafe in this world. And once I met that version of myself, the conversation went even further. I even saw my father, who who I always feel his presence around me, but I saw him and I had a conversation with him during this trip. And it was just such an emotional experience and really felt therapeutic. By the time it ended, I felt like I had been through at least a couple of years of therapy. That's Dana Saxon sharing her story of psychedelic medicine back in September. I'm here with WNC content director Lindsay Foster-Thomas talking about the Embodied series. So one of the things that's been such a pleasure for me about this series is I feel like it integrates my personal and professional lives in such an interesting way because a lot of the ideas are generated from conversations that I'm having with my friends or people in the community that I don't feel like end up on public radio a lot of the time. And this is one of them. I have um, a friend who actually assists with psychedelic trips in Durham. She helps um, a psychiatrist who is leading people through um, a psychedelic experience, and she kind of helps witness and is a presence for that. And talking with her about that inspired part of the idea for the show. Why do you think that one um, caught a lot of people's attention? Well, I mean, I think like most topics that you explore on Embodied, it's just like things that people think happen on the fringe or um, stuff that you're quote unquote not supposed to talk about because folks are going to judge you or think that you're weird or think that you're a type of person. But what Embodied is so good at is like is connecting all of our lives. And even though I might not be someone who does psychedelic medicine, like having a better understanding of what it does, who uses it, the reasons why, and sort of um, how pervasive it is in different communities, you know, it just builds my knowledge, it builds my empathy. And I think it makes me someone who is more well-versed <laughs> so that when conversations about these topics come up, I can say, you know, that's actually a misunderstanding and here's what the real deal is. We've experimented a lot with addressing sensitive topics in different ways and really finding the angle on an angle. And over the 18 months we've done the series, we've talked about everything from dating over 50 to interracial romance to reality shows about arranged marriage. But I want to talk now before the break about an episode that we did about sex and dating with physical disabilities, because it is one that I think about all of the time because it really reflects to me the importance of 
process and how much we thought deeply about this show and the way to do it in a sensitive way and the way to come at this topic in a way that didn't claim any kind of expertise but really was vulnerable and showed our own um, ignorance in the ways that we were ignorant and created space for people who um, have experience with these issues to really tell stories deep from their personal lives. So let's listen to a clip. This is DRC Charrington, an advocate and storyteller originally from Cary, and he's currently a doctoral candidate in English at The Ohio State University. He shared his experiences with dating, sex, and sexual assault as a gay, black, wheelchair user with cerebral palsy. Let's listen. On, on the plane, on the way over, you know, the flight attendant was just like, so what are you doing when we land? And like, this was a man, he was, you know, really attractive flight attendant for Lufthansa. And I'm, I'm 19, you know, I haven't really gone on a date, don't really know anything. And he was just like, you know, do you want to go out when we land? And I was just like, I was going to go to bed. And he was so <laughs> disappointed. Um, but it was like, from the moment I got there, the, the conversation immediately became about race and the people in Germany are infatuated with like black culture. And that translated onto me as all these men being like, Oh, like we've never had this opportunity. And like, here it is, you know, it's not exactly in the package that we would have thought, but we don't care. And like, this is why I think that, you know, ableism will change depending on the circumstance and the society in which you live in, because in Europe, I opened a profile like a week after I got there and a friend helped me set it up uh, on like a dating site. And I legitimately had around 30 to 40 individual requests every day, every day, all day, hundreds of people that were trying to like pour into my inbox because they just wanted to like go out. It, it made me feel so much better about my life and also about the fact that the United States just doesn't know how to deal with people that are different from what we expect. That was DRC Charrington, an advocate and storyteller originally from Cary. This was such an incredible episode, and one of my favorite quotes from it is one of our guests, Julianne Scott Pollock, who said at one point, all of us who live long enough will learn to experience what it's like to live in a disabled body, which to me kind of is what the series does, teaches me over and over again that something that may at first glance seem like one person's singular story is definitely much more than that. What struck you about that episode, Lindsay? You know, I think I find myself doing something I do a lot when I listen to Embody, and that's admitting that I don't know. I don't know things, and it's okay to say that I don't. Um, it's okay to be curious. And, you know, I think it's because we have such an absence of diversity in the voices that we hear and, and the narratives that we consider mainstream are all sort of of a type that embody really adds to the conversation and i get exposed <laughs> i get exposed to people and ways of thinking and ideas that i don't get just sort of in my normal bubble day to day i mean i like to think i have a diverse set of folks in my life but embodied always makes me think about how much bigger my world could be I'm here with Lindsay Foster Thomas, WUNC's content director, and we will continue looking backwards and forwards and talking about the Embodied series and how podcasts are changing radio. That's coming up next. You're listening to The State of Things from North Carolina Public Radio, a broadcast service of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. 
This is the State of Things broadcasting from the American Tobacco Historic District. I'm Anita Rao. Today is the last program of the State of Things. But as we've been talking about so far today, the Embodied series will continue. You can listen to it every Friday at noon on WUNC. I'm here with WUNC's content director, Lindsay Foster-Thomas, looking back at the evolution of the series, which has also become its own standalone podcast. And I want to start with another clip. This is from an episode that we did about sex work, and we did it in the middle of the pandemic. So we heard about people doing online sex work and everything that has happened in the evolution of the sex work industry that has affected where sex workers are today. So let's listen to a clip of Ceresa Sykes, a transgender woman who quit her in-person service industry job during during COVID to take up online sex work. I think especially as a trans girl, I expected to deal with a lot more flack and a lot more transphobic behavior that hasn't honestly happened. And it's surprising because I've dealt with it in person, working jobs uh, from customers, from actual coworkers. Uh, but there's sort of an appreciation for women like me in this industry. And it's, really oddly welcoming and exciting to not be guarded anymore about it. Whoever's there, they're there because they like either your personality, your body, whatever it is. That was Ceresa Sykes, an online sex worker who we spoke with for an episode back in October about the future of sex work. I'm here with Lindsay Foster-Thomas, WUNC's content director. So one of the choices we made early on with Embodied was to look beyond North Carolina. It was important to us to include North Carolina voices because we were on the state of things. But we really wanted to um, make sure that our shows had an appeal beyond the state. And I'd love to know kind of what you think about that and what you think about the general trend of trying to appeal beyond your statewide public radio audience as a a statewide public radio show. So before I answer that, can I just say one thing about the clip from before? I know today we're just listening to excerpts of the series, but I just want to raise the curtain a little bit for listeners about what goes into the production of Embodied. And I remember specifically for that show, getting a call from you because you had a question about um, some of the structural elements of how you wanted to present the conversation on the radio. And I just, you know, I just got to give it up to you, Anita, to Grant Holup Mormon, to Kaya Findlay, to Amanda Magnus, to Stacia Brown, the whole production team behind the state of things and embodied. Like you guys are so thoughtful <laughs> about these stories and you want your guests to have a really good experience because they are sharing something intimate. Mm. Almost everyone you bring on to talk about embodied, even if they are sort of an expert in the field, you know, you you all have their trust to the point where they are comfortable bringing in their own personal narratives. And um, I think because the whole series is in service of like, pushing those conversations toward better understanding and empathy. Like I was saying, you know, you get the good stuff out of people. And since you brought up the pandemic, I just want to add that that is especially challenging during a time when you can't sit in a room with somebody, you can't sit across from them in the studio. So now what were you asking me? Well, I, I want to reflect oh, on what statewide you statewide audience. <laughs> yeah, but I want to reflect on what you said, because that is interesting. And I've had to really give myself permission as a host, especially with people being remote to 
be more vocally present and do things that I was told that you're not supposed to do when you're on the radio, which is like, mm, and affirming and really being myself behind the mic, which has taken courage and has taken time for me to feel confident doing because it is different. But I feel like you can't you can't be kind of a, a remote, objective uh, viewer when people are sharing their most intimate reflections and mm-hmm. some of their their darkest secrets and their deepest stories. So I think part of the way the series has evolved has also been my getting more comfortable with withholding that space for people, even if it doesn't sound like how public radio is supposed to sound all of the time. Yeah. So I'm appreciative that I've been given the space to continue to do that. So I'm curious where WUNC is going moving forward and how you think about this show that's trying to reach a national audience as part of fitting into that plan. You know, so many of the big sort of podcast audio shops that we know about are based in major cities on the coast, uh, New York and L.A., with a little sprinkling of, of other places here and there. We don't have a huge audio production sort of hub network down here in the South. And what that means is it doesn't mean that stories from our region, voices from our region don't make their way onto the national stage, but sometimes it means that those stories are sort of discovered by folks (laughs) that don't live around here or are produced and and brought to the national stage by folks who are going to go back to their, you know, office in Brooklyn. Um, And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Uh, And WNC is certainly at this point dream a little dream. You know, (laughs) we're not a content hub of any kind, but I do think a show like Embodied is something that we can present from here in a really special way. You know, it's not a show about the South. It actually doesn't really matter if the people that we feature on Embodied are from North Carolina or not, but because this is the show's home base, you know, we have such a rich set of voices in this state, in this region, that they find their way in there like organically. And I think that's so important because, um, you know, stereotypes about the South still exist. And I think people would assume that these kinds of progressive conversations aren't being had down here. Yeah. And there are national issues like reproductive justice that have very particular dynamics because they are playing out in the South with its particular history. And that's true in North Carolina. And we've spoken about this with mm-hmm. rural healthcare providers and regular people in the state. And we even touched on it in a conversation we did about abortion. We heard from two people who had chosen to terminate pregnancies in the second trimester after their doctors warned of medical risks. And both women brought up the ways that culture manifested in the classification of which procedures are classified as elective. So let's listen to uh, a woman named Ruth who chose to remain anonymous sharing her story. With my second pregnancy, we were told that our child was incompatible with life. That's a diagnosis that no parent or soon-to-be parent ever wants to hear. But to complicate things further, to then go through a termination and receive a bill from your insurer for what I received was a $42,000 bill for a procedure that they deemed, quote-unquote, elective after a doctor told me that no doctor would agree to have this child with me in a hospital setting for my partner when he was even heard the fact that my life was at stake 
it was sort of like we threw our hands up. How could this be deemed elective? How could I be billed for this as though I were having like plastic surgery? If it were something that I walked in and planned and wanted. We are reviewing a year of tough and taboo conversations on the Embodied series that we started on The State of Things. That was Ruth speaking to us during our episode about abortion narratives. I'm talking with Lindsay Foster Thomas, WUNC's content director. I'd love to talk more about um, the show versus the podcast and this ever complicated but confused and but important divide that we're trying to create between the way that each sounds. So we have embodied these live conversations on the radio and we've created Embodied the Podcast, with which has a second season coming out later this year. You've been a big part of working with me to shape the podcast version. And maybe we can use the abortion um, episode as an example. That one has not reached the podcast yet. But how would we, what would be the process of taking a show, a live conversation like that, and figuring out how it works in the podcast version and what makes it different? How does the format shape the content? It is a puzzle that we are still figuring out um, because now that Embodied is its own radio show, it is no longer an embed of the state of things, but also exists in the world as a podcast. You know, we, we just want to make sure that there's room for both. And even though the overall kind of mission is the same, I think the difference in the approach is really key. And you wrote about this beautifully in a piece that you contributed to the Huffington Post in October. You know, for AIR, I think Embodied serves a lot of purposes. And one of them is exposing an audience of public radio listeners, a demographic that you know, may not have even discovered podcasts and incorporated that media into their lives or are, you know, just sort of more traditional for NPR demographically. They are older folks. They are white folks. They are college educated folks of uh, greater wealth. And they, because Embodied is, is unique and brings these conversations from different perspectives to the air, you know, there's no getting away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the reality is they may never have discovered them if Embodied was only a podcast. So, but for podcast listeners, um, that's an opportunity for Embodied to to reach beyond just the airwaves of North Carolina into a bigger national or even international space. I, I wish I had access to our analytics up in front of me because I know we have a few listeners abroad. But, you know, some of the production elements that we incorporated into the podcast are you offering something of a personal essay at the very beginning of every episode. We also get to meet your parents and (laughs) and hear their thoughts on every topic that you dive into, which I think that was a suggestion of our development director, Regina Yeager, (laughs) because she's a big fan of your dad in particular. But, you know, hearing you directly take on topics that folks don't like to talk about, especially with their parents, you know, some people can't even sit in a room like watching a movie with a sex scene <laughs> while their parents are in the room. But like you you directly asking your mom, for example, does she have any experience with abortion? I know your mom worked as a, a midwife for a while or how they would talk to yourself and your siblings about issues, you know, everything from sexual pleasure to 
pornography to, I mean, this one's an easy one because your dad's a gastroenterologist, but Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) like what is like a normal like poop routine look like? So, you know, that's something that we thought would really add to the texture of the show. There are a lot of podcasts out there that sound a lot like radio. And you just hear the host say, hi, welcome to so-and-so show. And then they do an interview. And, you know, some of those work really well. But we thought bringing some more layers of texture to embodied with those kind of signposts and knowing that you're going to hear personal narratives intermixed with longer form interviews, intermixed with um, some response from the audience and your parents, like all of that makes it, I think, a really special product. I want to play one more clip now, and this is from an episode about body hair. This was such a fun episode to do because it generated so many conversations among the team. We talk a lot about our relationships with our bodies, and a lot of that conversation ends up being great fodder for the show. But in particular with this one, we were all in this pandemic moment where we were thinking a lot about body hair, the kinds of body hair that we have let grow much, much longer than they've ever been before because of the pandemic. And we We really wanted to do this deep dive and think about why do we feel like body hair is so demonized? And we learned that it actually wasn't always the case. And there is this crazy, interesting history of the relationship between power and beauty standards. And I want to play a piece of that clip now. This is Rebecca Herzig, who's a professor of gender and sexuality studies. She works at Bates College, and she authored the book Plucked, A History of Hair Removal. Let's listen. In the first few centuries, really, of European colonization of the Americas, The idea was that hairlessness, which the European colonizers saw as more commonly associated with indigenous peoples, the smooth skin, hairless skin, they saw that as quote-unquote deficient, like racially deficient, meaning not as civilized as the European standard that they were accustomed to. Um, But also then, because it was seen as racially subordinate, they also kind of coded it in all these other ways as strange or even disgusting or animal-like in that way. Um, The indigenous people, so far as we know, had very different ideas about European standards and norms. But that sort of held the case until well into the 19th century when dominant white culture started switching it into the kind of norms that we're familiar with now, that smooth hairless skin is seen as more desirable, as more beautiful, as more hygienic, as um, more normal in that way. And any of us who might deviate from it are kind of um, stigmatized or shamed or pressured to do something about it. That was Bates College professor Rebecca Herzig from our episode on body hair. And I know this one struck a chord with you, Lindsay, because it inspired a whole tweet thread. So talk to me about about your reflections on this episode. Sometimes I black out and tweet. Um, (laughs) Um, yeah, no, I remember exactly where I was when I heard this episode live, uh, cause I was in the shower and like, as I was listening before I knew it, I had shaved my legs <laughs> and I don't think I meant to, <laughs> I think it just happened. But yeah, I mean, the other thing I, I remember is you getting some feedback about why would we be talking about body hair? Mm-hmm. Um, there is a global pandemic going on. There is upheaval in democracy and chaos in Washington and a racial reckoning. And, you know, all of these things that are so urgent and pressing in the headlines. And you brought that criticism (laughs) to the conversation and asked one of your guests, like, 
what do I say when people say like in the, the scheme of things is body hair important? And she had a great answer that I can't remember verbatim right now, but you know, it made me think about when I was in the third grade, <laughs> I had at the time a friend named Celeste and she would make fun of the hair on my forearms, which was very dark. I'm a very hairy person. And I remember that I came home to my mom and I said, Celeste says the hair on my arms is ugly. And Celeste, who was a blonde white girl, you know, I had something different than she did. And in her eyes, it was something that she needed to point out and, and make me feel not good about. And, you know, my mom, <laughs> credit to her, she started a conversation with me at a very young age about how people look different, how there are different races and cultures, and that Celeste probably didn't get the same at home because she wasn't exposed to anybody that really looked different than her. So, you know, sorry for that anecdote, but, No, I mean, but that's it is like, perfect. Yeah. yeah, it's it's like what you always say that like the personal is political and that the way that we navigate our day to day is as important as anything that is sort of screaming at us from the headlines, because it's all about how we connect with each other. And so, yeah, <laughs> No, I don't I mean, remember what I tweeted, but that's what's on my mind today. that's so perfect because I think her answer, I don't remember it verbatim either, but it was something to the effect of looking at body hair and thinking about how our culture views body hair exposes everything that's going on in the global conversation. It exposes how these ideas of power and who belongs and who doesn't Mm -hmm. how our kind of the way that we manifest and people see us affects how they treat us. Like everything can be illuminated through looking at this small lens. And she articulated it so beautifully. And I think, yeah, really points to the power of really zooming in on these small topics that people may at first think are irrelevant. And then so